In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There, our Genesis foundation sprang from the will and word of the great I Am. Woven deep into these foundations are rich truths of God and man, sin and righteousness, life and death, and everything else of ultimate consequence. What God started in Genesis is now settled and completed in Christ Jesus. Two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Kerry walked us through Genesis chapter 3 and that centerpiece of that chapter, which is the, the cataclysmic, horrible, universe-corrupting event that we, we have labeled and called the fall. When Adam and Eve led all of mankind, made in the image of God, but led them into a, a corrupt and sinful state into which you and I were born all these many years later. Uh, I've chosen for my title this morning that old-time religion. Now, right away, and I've had to have a couple of conversations about this this morning. I am not picking on a good old toe-tapping but theologically squishy song. I am not picking on the rigorous faith of the church that your great-grandparents attended, if your great-grandparents attended a church of rigorous faith. Oh, no. I'm going, I'm going way, way further back than that to the time near the creation See, let me give you a definition of religion. And, and my definition of religion lines up with, with one that, that is fairly frequent in the New Testament. The word religion occurs seven times in the New Testament. And uh, only, only once in James chapter 1 is it referred to in any sort of positive connotation. James 1.27 uses the word religion with perhaps a positive connotation. The rest of the time it's not used in a positive way at all. For example... Chasing this rabbit for a moment at the very beginning of a message. Um, when Paul is addressing the philosophers of Athens in Acts 17, those philosophers of Athens were, were spending their whole lives working really, really, really hard so that an angry pantheon of gods would somehow find a way to love them. They were working very hard to earn the love of their gods. Paul, as he begins his sermon to them, says to them, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are extraordinarily religious. They probably heard it as a compliment, but he certainly didn't mean it as one. There's another use of Colossians, in, I mean, use of religion in Colossians chapter 2 that we'll allude to later in this message, where, where it's the well, it's the definition that I've given you on the notes there. Religion can be defined as the things I do to make God treat me well, ultimately love me. It's the things I do to earn the favor of God. 
By that definition, continuing what I've given you in the notes, by that definition, all religion is false religion. Since there are no things I can do to earn the favor of God. Now, as a born-again person, there are certainly characteristics of conduct that honor Christ and those that don't. There are certainly uh, things we, we do out of a heart of love for Jesus that are things we ought to do. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about earning the love of God by your effort, which you cannot do. All attempts to earn the love of God by our effort are doomed false and doomed to fail. They are the way of Cain, as we will see in this chapter. Religion, the things I do so God will love me. Roman numeral one, the deadly conflict from religion. I'm not gonna read all of chapter four at one long hit. I'm gonna take it as we go. So uh, Roman one, the deadly conflict from religion. Probably at the heart of more of human, human conflict on both the small and large scale than maybe any other single causative factor is the, is the quest to, to be found to be eternally right on the basis of the stuff that I do in life. And if I believe that I am right in eternity because of the stuff I do in life, don't you dare get in the way of my doing it. Further, if the stuff you're doing to be eternally right is not the same stuff I'm doing to be eternally right, we're gonna end up in a conflict, you and I, and somebody could get hurt as happened here. What motivated the very first murder? Religion. We'll see it in the text. Then Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. The first childbirth, right? And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. No problem. We're gonna eat produce, we need farmers. The course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So, therefore, Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. You'll see we don't have to wonder why. You'll see that the, the, that, that murderous moment is tied to religious resentment. What, what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice? That's the heart of this. Well, several things. First, letter A on your outline, it was work over worship. It was work over worship. What do I mean? 
Before I, before I deal with this section, let me be clear. I have never voluntarily recreationally farmed. I, I, I'm very, very appreciative of farmers. I am extraordinarily fond of food. I've just not had any connection with farming. Likewise, I've never kept sheep. Read, paid attention a little bit, don't know much about it. But I know this. Farming is more labor intensive. What do I mean? I know this from a little bit of experience. There have been times, there were times in my childhood when we would have a big yard and my dad would get it in his head that he wanted us to, to, to farm. So he'd take a big section of our yard and, and, and turn it into his farm. I remember, I remember uh, weeding and watering and waiting. And I remember losing Saturday afternoon after Saturday afternoon after Saturday afternoon to the aforementioned activities only to end up with a handful of lima beans that I wasn't all that fond of. Blood, sweat, and tears. On the other hand, shepherding, and again, I'm not suggesting that it's not got a component of industry to it, but, but, but with, with, with shepherding, if you put them in the right place, sheep feed themselves. They'll drink their own water. They will even produce for you other sheep. It's a marvelous thing. That day when Cain brought his offering... He had labored in a way Abel simply hadn't. As he brought his produce from the sweat of his brow, there's little doubt he had worked harder than his younger brother. What's he doing over there, sitting among his sheep, talking to God? I'm out here busting it! It was works over worship. Letter B, it was beauty over blood. Beauty over blood. It's interesting that the, the very invention of religion, the first attempt to, to do something to make myself okay with God is in chapter four. It's in chapter three. Pastor Kerry covered it last week. The moment Adam and Eve realize they have fallen, Genesis 3, 7, in that very moment, religion gets invented. Look at Genesis 3, 7 for a second. I'll take you to some other verses, but show, let me show you this. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they had, were naked. That's the moment Adam and Eve become aware of the fact that they have plunged in the fall. In that moment, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They jumped in to do something religious to fix their problem. That's the birth of religion, is in Genesis 3, 7, the if the, if the fall is inhaling, religion is exhaling from a human standpoint. Effort to make myself right with God. Later in the very same chapter, God teaches them a lesson about being right with him when he takes away their fig leafy works righteousness. In verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Substitutionary bloody sacrifice provided by God. 
the foundation stones for the revelation of the gospel being laid. Adam and Eve knew that lesson of blood over beauty. And you can bet they taught it to their sons. Cain didn't, didn't own it. He brought beauty over blood. Hebrews 9.22 says it as succinctly as it can be said. Indeed, under the law, almost, all, every, almost, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, if you're an Old Testament student, and many of you are, you know that in the Old Testament law, there were some offerings that were, in fact, produce offerings, grain offerings and even vegetable offerings. But those offerings were about fellowship and thankfulness, not the forgiveness of sin. Every law, every sacrifice in the Old Testament that had to do with forgiveness of sin was a sacrifice of blood. That's what Cain was after. Hebrews 11.4. Commenting on this moment. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. You know what I think? I think Cain's offering was way prettier. When I think of Cain's offering, I think of like a, a farmer's market. You know, the reds and the yellows and the greens. Gail and I live near the grocery store that we use. And uh, if you ever are in there, especially first thing in the morning when the, when the produce manager and his team have been working hard through the night and the little sprayers, you know, are doing their thing, it, it, it looks amazing. And I, I do eat vegetables. I even have learned to like lima beans, though I resented them greatly as a child. <laughs> It's really pretty in there. The vivid colors and the, just, it's nice. And in my, in my mind's eye, that's what Cain's sacrifice looked like. A really nice produce department. Here comes Abel with the dead body of a sheep. Broken. Maybe blood running down his arms. Pardon the word, but it's, it's, it's actually pretty gross. And if he cuts it up, as the text seems to imply, for the fat portions to be all the more a part of his sacrifice, it's just messy. It's a bloody awful mess. Cain worked harder to produce beauty. Abel produced blood out of a heart of worship. If you and I are picking, Cain's sacrifice is certainly more winsome. Cain thought so too. Because he chose produce to, to give out of what he came up with over prioritizing the worship of God. In fact, 1 John 3 verse 12 comments also on this. We should not be like Cain, 
who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil. What deeds? A works righteousness sacrifice. It's the only one we've got. The only possible answer to the question. He produced a sacrifice of his own works in order to be made right with God and thought God would be impressed by his beautiful efforts. New Testament calls that mindset evil and his brothers righteous. Well, God shows up and confronts him. Cain, why are you upset? Cain has that moment. I forgot. You're not interested in the beauty of my effort. He didn't. He didn't repent. He didn't sink God, seek God. He got, he got prideful and insulted. See, repenting from works righteousness is difficult because works righteousness creates a feedback loop. Why would I repent of the good stuff that I'm doing? I'm doing good stuff to make God like me, and you're telling me that I need to repent of the good stuff that I'm doing. That is precisely the gospel. If you're piling up good deeds so that you'll be right with God, it's worse than wasting your time. It's an offense to a holy God. He will never love you on the basis of your performance. And for you to think so involves your embracing a very evil overestimate of how good you are and underestimate of how holy he is. He must provide the sacrifice, and he has, by the way, in the person of Jesus Christ, an ugly, bloody, messy cross on which died the very Son of God for the sins of people. Pile up all the good works, and at the end of the day, find that all you have done is create a sacrifice that can never please God. Was in all the veggies you got. So letter E, murder over mastery. See, the problem with works righteousness is it doesn't make you righteous. <laughs> it is the transforming power of the love of God, loved by those whom he has loved first. And that love, the inhabitation of the Holy Spirit that comes with the new birth, transforms us from the inside out. We are not well and truly changed by our efforts to do better. We are certainly not made acceptable to God by our efforts to do better. There's a paragraph in the New Testament that deals with this exact thing. Colossians 2, the last paragraph of the chapter, beginning in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, and context makes it clear, those elemental spirits of the world is paraphrasing the common sense belief that the good guys are going to be eternally okay because they're the good guys. That the well-behaved are going to be eternally okay because, after all, they're well-behaved. 
That world's common sense is what Colossians 2.20 is calling the elemental spirits of the world. And if you're in Christ, you have died to that ecosystem. You know you're not right with God on the basis of your performance if in fact you're a Christian. If that's you, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. This rule-keeping, this religious rigor, this, this holy, in quotes, discipline, it has indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, the way of Cain. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All the religious effort and vegetable sacrifice he could muster didn't keep Cain from killing his brother. Religious effort won't keep you from sin. In fact, religious effort will cause you to resent God and drift further from him. Roman numeral two, the disastrous consequences of religion. And remember how we've defined it. When I'm doing stuff to make myself acceptable to God, what happens? First, a desire to avoid God. If God is a ruthless taskmaster who's going to grade me on my performance, I don't really want a lot to do with him. Oh, I want to know God because of his love, grace, forgiveness, mercy, acceptance, none of which have the first thing to do with my performance. That's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. Cain has rejected that. And so when God asks Cain a simple question, Cain gives an evasive answer. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? See, the sin of works righteousness will keep you from the love of God or the love of God will keep you from the sin of works righteousness. Cain then. And isn't interested in communing with God. Second, it leads to an endless trap in works that won't work. The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. You've chosen the way of works. The way of works is an awful trap because how much is enough? If I'm earning points for eternity in my acceptability to God, how many do I have to have? And how can I, how can I waste time sleeping? There are more points to be earned. I get asked sometimes, why are Jehovah's Witnesses so much more willing to pound the pavement with their little tote bag in their pack of lies than most faithful believers are? Is it because they have something we don't? No, it's because they lack something we have. We have the love of God 
and the range of his commandments. They have an evil made up God who stands over them with a whip. And if they take any time off, they're slipping on the scoreboard and may end up in hell because of it. If you're working to avoid hell, I suppose you'd work pretty hard. You know, it is in the nature of salvation by grace that we have eternal security in Christ. If you don't believe in eternal security, there is a deep crack in your understanding of salvation by grace. But if you understand salvation by grace, you will hold to the eternal security of the believer. That plus understanding the New Testament. And if you hold to the security of of the believer, then... You can rest. You can be transformed by the love of Christ who has given you a gift of such magnificent value as salvation which you could never earn and do not deserve. But in religion, letter C, you end up paranoid. Paranoid toward God and people. We see it in verse 13 and 14. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Of course you're paranoid toward God, the relentless taskmaster who's got you jumping through hoops. And further, you're paranoid toward people because all people can be divided into one of two camps. Either people who aren't working as hard as you are Well, that was Abel, and Cain's already killed him. Or people you resent because they're working harder than you are, and they're probably ahead of you. Nothing much to love about that either. Works righteousness is a paranoid, paranoid place. And then letter D, of course, lost potential. The Lord said to him, not so. I'm going to spare your life. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And was never what he could have been. Now this next paragraph deals or implies some things about a lot of other people. And so what I'm gonna do uh, on the Beyond the Notes podcast this week, I'm gonna talk to you about the population of humanity between creation and the flood. Where did these guys get their wives? And how many people are around within just short numbers of years after the flood? Here's a hint. Every human being is a descendant of Adam and Eve. There's no other place to get them. And there may be more of them fairly early than you would at first necessarily spot. And I confess in advance, the podcast will involve math. And draw, I believe, some reasonable inferences from the text. Can't wait to show you some stuff. That's my commercial. Now begins to open this distinct path 
still evident in our world today, the distinct contrast between the religious and the faithful. The religious and the faithful. Letter A, we see the line of Cain. Uh, let's read about it. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehushael, and Mehushael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain, and he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Namah. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Oh, me. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me. I'm a better murderer than my granddaddy was. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Here's what we see. First, this line of Cain, this, this, this family tree of works righteousness. Woo, they got some stuff done. I mean, works righteousness, one of its dangerous characteristics is it gets stuff done. It's attractive. Nothing wrong with metallurgy or musical instruments or animal husbandry or cities. These inventions come from the line of Cain. Also from the line of Cain comes polygamy and even more murder. Look, there's no question that this lost world that is at war with God has Bridges, I like bridges. And, and uh, telephones, I used to like telephones more than I like the modern version. The modern version can be a bit invasive. And, 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 and getting from place to place in 10 minutes instead of two hours and getting there in air conditioning, kind of fond of that too. But if those things are part of an effort to please God, well, we'll encounter that at the Tower of Babel in a few chapters, won't we? The line of Cain is known for its achievements and accomplishments. Oh, by the way, for its growth in sinfulness. But on the line of Cain, it's all about achievement and accomplishment. And there's some. The line of Seth is less concerned with achievements and accomplishments. They're none reported. Doesn't mean that the, uh, the line of Seth's not doing stuff. But look at what mattered in the line of Seth. Last paragraph of the chapter and we're done. Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name Seth which sounds like the word for appointed in the original. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. 
At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The Lion of Seth was centered on faithfulness, worship. The Lion of Cain centered on achievement, pride, sin. Paths still exist, plain sight. What's your story? Is your story a story of achievement, getting things done, and being a person of greater worth, surely greater worth to God because of all you've done? If that's true of you, you walk the path of Cain, which path does not end well. If your story is mostly a story of faithfulness and calling on the name of the Lord, you walk the path of Abel. And the New Testament says that's a better way. The substitutionary sacrifice, the story of which is the story of this book, is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Since the fall, the human condition hadn't changed much. There's still most people are going to, if they concern themselves with thoughts of eternity at all, and most of mankind still does, they're working their way to eternally okay status. The path of Cain is a broad, well-paved road that's very easy to find. It aligns with your instincts and intuitions. If I just behave myself, I'll be eternally okay. The path of Cain. Pile up my vegetables, make it as pretty as I can, Followers of Jesus Christ have staked their hearts and eternities on a bloody, messy substitute as we sang earlier, God so loved the world that he gave his only son to save us. That whoever believes in him won't die forever, but instead will live forever. This morning, if you're trusting in your works for your salvation, stop. Take not one more step on the path of Cain. Come to Jesus and live forever. Despising your sin, trusting him by faith. Pastor, how are you saying I never have to do another thing? Hear me carefully. Hear me really carefully because if you almost hear what I'm about to say, you'll be messed up. If you are in Christ, there is not one more thing you can do between now and dying that's gonna make God love you any more than he loves you today. Anything you're doing to make God love you more, stop it. Stop it, you're just gonna frustrate yourself with additional love that's not yours to earn because he has already given you everything. He who spared not his own son but delivered him up for his all, he will also freely with him give us all things. It was done on your behalf when Jesus died on the cross, finished. 
Say, I want to do some things to honor the Lord. Do that. I want to do some things to, to demonstrate obedience and love. Do that. I want to do some things so that he'll love me even more. Stop. You waste your time and you offend him. If you're outside of Christ, there's also not one thing you can do to make him love you more. You are the object of his wrath. And all the pretty veggies you pile up will come to nothing. Surrender to him. Fall at his feet. Accept his provided sacrifice. And be right with him forever.